Hello there, Riderflex Nation. Steve Urban here with more career advice and job interviewing tips for you. And as a quick reminder, if you enjoy our podcast, please remember to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes. And on today's podcast, we have Chris Fenneral, the CEO and co-founder of SketchDeck. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you calling in. Thanks, Steve. Pleasure to be here. Tell, why don't we start with uh, you telling the listeners a little about yourself, both uh, personally and professionally? Sure. Uh, so I can kind of start back from uh, my time at university. So I'm from the UK, as you can probably tell from my accent. Um, I was there studying engineering. Um, I, when I left there, I, I joined a startup. So that was my first kind of taste of the startup world, um, a company called Breathing Buildings that was in Cambridge in the UK. Uh, and that's where I first kind of got a good feel for what working the startup was like and, and really liked the, the feel of it. Um, after that, I actually left the startup world briefly and uh, went to uh, McKinsey, uh, the consulting firm, where uh, I really got a good insight into how businesses work and uh, things like strategy and operations and, and, and kind of enjoyed that environment, enjoyed the experience and the exposure that I got. I learned a ton there, but uh, I felt at the time it wasn't quite the right fit for what I wanted to do with my life. So mm-hmm. um, after being there for a few years, uh, I, I left and started my first company in the UK uh, along with my co-founder. And uh, we, we, we tried that one for about a year and it didn't, didn't really work out in the end. We were uh, trying to combine um, data and surveys and provide like automated insights into into that data. Um, it was pretty tough. Uh, we didn't didn't quite get to go as we wanted, but you know learned a lot from that first experience. Right. right. Um, and then after that, we we, um, we started SketchTech and had um, uh, a lot more success this time around. Um, very early on in that process, we we were funded by Y Combinator that are out here and in the Bay Area and, and Silicon Valley. Uh, and that's what got us out uh, into the US and has been working working on that for the past uh, past five years now. Uh, great, great. Sounds like, sounds like that entrepreneurial bug has, has been in there for a long time <laughs> from early on. Uh, yeah, us, it has been. I think I've, I've always, yeah, always enjoyed that. Tell us, uh, tell us about SketchDeck. Let's go into that. Tell us about, uh, you know, what SketchDeck does and, and how it benefits companies. Sure. So, um, so SketchDeck is a software-powered design service. Uh, it will focus on businesses' everyday design needs. So you think of things like sales decks, marketing materials, internal presentations. It's the things that go on every day inside a, a business. Um, and typically, these everyday design needs are worked on either by people like marketers or salespeople themselves, you know, not designers. All these projects get queued up for, for days or weeks waiting on the internal design team to have some capacity or for the agency to, uh, to free up and, and work on them. Um, and that just slows things down or leads to kind of bad design and, and ultimately hurts the brand of that company. Right. Um, so what we do with SketchDeck is we have this awesome platform, which makes starting a project super easy, really fast, like automatically prices things, takes care of feedback, handles all the invoicing and billing and everything in a really seamless way and we have an awesome group of designers that are all around the world that are working on these projects for you um, delivering really great design making sure all of your brand guidelines are followed uh, and, and getting you that, that design that you need um, quickly and efficiently so great. yeah pretty pretty awesome stuff 
That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about the culture at Sketch Deck? You know, what it's like to work there, what kind of candidates you look for uh, in general to join your team? Yeah, so um, we have a really uh, kind of open, honest, smart, collaborative culture. I think if I was going to throw a few words out there, mm-hmm. um, we definitely um, want people on the team who uh, who care about culture, who are who are really like nice people to work with. Like, we 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 really want to make sure everyone here is is good. All right. um, we want people who want to help other people out. So. And we have a set of values, five values that we work to as a company. So it's helping each other succeed and grow, achieving ambitious outcomes, taking responsibility, sharing honest progress and feedback, and being inclusive. So we really look for people that can that that like those values and can work within those values. Um, and that's really helped us. Like having that clear set of values that we're working towards has helped us get a really great team together. Um, and yeah, we've been very lucky. We have. Uh, an incredible team today of you know really smart people who who work well and have fun together as well you know you guys have done such a great job of identifying who you are from a cultural perspective on your website matter of fact better than probably any company i've seen and i've i've dealt with a lot of companies and uh, you really just go to great lengths to make sure people understand hey this is who we are this is our culture these are our values i mean really a phenomenal job and also you know, spent a lot of time with us, Rider Flex, when we were talking about, you know, culture and the type of candidates. And so I know that's that's very important for you. You guys do a great job with that. You know, you've interviewed a bunch of people, uh, you know, in your career so far and hired a bunch and doing it on a regular basis. What's your, do you have a favorite interview question or a couple that, you know, you, you love to ask? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's one, it's, I mean, relatively simple, but um, I, I like the question, um, tell me about something you've worked on that you're proud of. Okay. Um, so it's a pretty simple question. There's not much to it, but um, I think you learn a lot from that. So you, first of all, get a sense of what someone's level of, uh, you know, what, what does something that they're proud of look like to them? Mm-hmm. And it, it tells you a lot. Um, and you also get to hear about something that they've done that they're excited about. And I think, again, that, that can provide a whole host of other follow-up questions that you can really dig into something like that. Um, so that's one for me, um, uh, gotcha. one I, I, I use, uh, and I've been sure I do. You know, on that, on that question, tell me about something you're proud of or that you've accomplished. What I look for there too, and I'm guessing you probably do the same. I always look to see if they compliment somebody besides themselves <laughs> on that accomplishment. Mm. Right? Like, you know, a team member or, Hey, I, me, you know, me and my team did that or, or something like that. You know, yeah. I just look for that, that humble factor a little bit just to make sure that it's not all yep. about them. Um, are there common mistakes you see? I mean, do you just shake your head? Sometimes you go home at night and you, you tell your wife, you're like, Oh my God, I, you know, and I, another, another candidate blew it. And here's why do you have, a, do you have like some common mistakes you see there? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many things that people do on interviews, which are not, know, right? you know, not great, but sometimes it's hard to tell whether it's, uh, you know, just not a good fit or whether they're kind of genuinely making mistakes. But I, I, I know there's one particular error which I look for, which is the, the part of the end of the interview. I, I always try and leave a good amount of time for candidates to ask questions about, you know, ask questions back at me. Yes. And I think that's a really important part of the interview because um, the, the common mistakes I see there is either I hear people have no questions that's a red flag right away. Like Absolutely. if you have no questions about 
you know, a, a, a career change you're about to make? Like, <laughs> what's that, what, what does that say about that person? Um, or, or you get the people who have clearly kind of, uh, they, they ask something that's so completely obvious if they'd spend five minutes on the website or if they'd read the job description. Um, and that to me is one of those things where it's like, ah, uh, this person's not really, they don't really care that much about the job if they've not taken the time to, right. to, to, to do the, the little bit of research themselves. So, I mean, that's one area where I'd say, you know, anytime you're interviewing for a job, make sure you've, you've already read through what the company is doing, <laughs> like what the role is and, and have some good questions to ask because, um, it, it is important. I definitely take note of those, uh, of people's questions. I couldn't agree more. I, I did a podcast recently and by the way, that's, that's why the podcast was started because of all the things people do wrong in interviews. And one of the podcast, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the podcast episodes recently was, uh, I called it top mistakes people make. And the title of it is people just don't prepare. I, I'm just, I am just yeah. constantly amazed at how candidates just simply do not prepare. They don't do their homework on the company. They don't do their homework on the person they're interviewing with. They barely read the job description uh, enough to, to ask good questions or they didn't prepare questions yet. They just don't prepare. It blows me away on a regular basis. Um, you know, I appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate you sharing that. So I'm curious, you know, what was it like that first time? Well, maybe let's let's go with the McKinsey deal. What was it like to walk away from McKinsey, right, and go, okay, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try this. I mean, can you just tell the listeners, you know, maybe maybe some scary moments or some maybe maybe some big hurdles that you overcame early on? Sure. So, I mean, the first thing to say actually is, was leaving McKinsey itself wasn't the hardest part. Um, I actually had reached a point there where. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I was basically deciding, did I want to go to business school? Did I want to uh, do a corporate internship? So I, I was getting to a point where I needed to make a change anyway. So actually departing was not the hardest part. Okay. But deciding that actually rather than taking one of those more well-trodden paths, I was going to try and start something myself. But yeah, that was that was pretty scary. Um, I'd say, you know, some of the things which, which were tricky was, uh, I mean, early on, you know, figuring out what I wanted to do, that was, that was, that was kind of hard and scary. And, um, I guess the spoiler there is that actually coming up with something to do is, is easier than you think. Like once you're kind of forced to, to figure out something, you'll, you'll figure <laughs> something else. So, um, I always had this idea in my head. It was just, you know, what, how am I going to find that idea? But you, you realize there's a lot of ideas out there. Um, I mean, the, once it was kind of say kind of four or five months out of McKinsey, you know, once the, the paycheck stopped and you see your bank balance only going, only going down, um, <laughs> that's certainly a scary, a scary moment. Um, so, so one thing I would definitely advise people there is, you know, make sure you, uh, either have a good amount of savings. So you've got a, you know, a couple of years worth of runway or, um, what the thing I ended up actually doing was doing some, some freelance consulting on the side, like have something which you can spend, you know, one or two days a week or doing a few blocks of, of time to, to just to get some income coming in because it's, yeah, gotcha. you, you, you need to still, uh, you still need to live as you're working on a startup. Um, that's, that's great. That's great uh, advice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, those are a couple of things that, that, that were pretty scary um, early on. Would you, if, if somebody, you know, asked you to choose A or B, what would you say on this? If they said, hey, um, I have to put my house on the market. I have to use all of my, basically I have to put it all on the line to do this startup. 
or I can't, or I can't do it. What, what would you say? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, it's very hard to say in the general case. I mean, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to say to someone, you know, put everything on the line, you know, right. especially if you've got a family and kids and all those things. So, um, I mean, one of the fortunate things for me is that I, I, I started working on a, a startup early before I had many of those responsibilities. And that's certainly something I would encourage, you know, any younger people listening kind of, this stuff is easier to do sooner rather than later before you, before you have lots of big right. commitments. Um, right. So right. that's the best thing I'd say. Yep. Um, the thing I would say as well, though, is uh, for most people, like for, uh, I don't want to say most people, for, for, for many people, um, you know, you can, you can try a startup and if it doesn't work out, you'll, that, that experience will teach you something and you'll should, you should still be able to go back and get a job again. So it's not, the kind of making a leap to do a startup is not saying, Hey, I'm never going to have a job again. <laughs> you, you know, have that, make sure you've got that runway to be able to spend, you know, a year to two years on it. Um, and then, yeah, like you make that jump and then you can, you can always come back if you try it, you didn't like it or it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the stats would say that most people are, are going to fail one or two times before, uh, you know, before oh, they get it right. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, how about this? How about this question? You know, what's it like to be a first time CEO? Uh, and can you talk to or maybe give some advice to somebody entering into that level for the first time? And, 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 you know, because it's just such a different, position than being at a, you know, a manager or supervisor role where you're doing lots of tactical. So can you just talk about that, what it was like for you to be a, a first-time CEO? Yeah. So the first thing to note there is that, you know, the CEO title is an interesting one because actually it's very different depending on what size of company you're at. So I, I think of my role in, as CEO, it's, it's, it's changed maybe 10 times since I've started Sketchlink. Mm. So every time that you progress, uh, the company progresses and you've got a, you know, a bigger team or more clients, like the, what you're doing day to day changes. Um, and so I'd say, you know, right at the beginning, CEO itself actually doesn't really mean much. You're, you're primarily founder or co-founder. Right. And that means you're doing yeah. everything you can in the scrappiest way possible to get this idea <laughs> off the ground. Right. Um, you, you know, with myself and my co-founder, it was the, the CEO versus CTO didn't really mean anything. Um, and it's only really once you get to a point where you've got something kind of working and you're maybe starting to, to, to add some team members, like that's when, you know, the CEO responsibility starts to, starts to come in. And, and the way that I ultimately see the role is it's, in, you know, you're trying to make, you have to have a clear idea about what the company's doing and where it's trying to head. And you're trying to make decisions so that the company itself can operate well. Uh, and then you're making sure you're getting good people on the team and those people know what they're doing and they're excited to be there. Um, so those are kind of, I guess, some of the things which, which stay the same once you've kind of got to three or four people and, and beyond. You know, one of the things that uh, I've, I've talked to a few CEOs about is it's, is that scary moment when you, you're handing your brand reputation to employees that you're having to bring on, right? Like you, you were doing a lot of, you were doing a lot of tactical things yourself first and making damn sure, you know, that it was really done right and take care of the clients, et cetera, et cetera. And when you, when you get, you get big enough, you don't, you have to scale all of a sudden you're handing those responsibilities to somebody else. You're handing your brand, your reputation, you're putting it in somebody else's hands. And uh, you know, that can be scary, 
which is why it's so important to bring on the right people. It's just absolutely critical. You know, you've been really successful even early on in life. Congratulations, by the way, on everything you've built over at Sketch Deck and what you've done so far professionally. Um, A couple of more questions. I I don't want to keep you very much longer, but just a couple more. If you had to, speaking of your success, if you had to identify a couple of key contributing factors to your success so far as a professional, what, what would those be? Yeah, good question. Um, I think uh, there's a few things. I think one is just taking time for yourself to know what's important is, is, in, is a good place to start. Um, you know, I think too many people just kind of, fall into something and then just keep doing it because they fell into it. So Uh knowing what you want is important. Um, And then taking risks, like there's no way to get to to, to what you want without, without taking that risk, without leaving that company and starting something or, you know, yeah, that's so so important. You have to be prepared to take the risk. And and, and here I'm specifically emphasizing, you know, if you want to found something, you you can avoid taking risks if you want, but I think, Taking risks allow you to get get more more things. Mm-hmm. Um, working on what you enjoy is important as well. Like I definitely wouldn't put the energy and the uh, time into what I'm doing if I didn't enjoy it. So it's definitely good to find something you enjoy. Right. And then finally, um, work with working with good people. And we've touched on this a few times so far, but it's um, it's very quick quick that you move beyond what you yourself can achieve. So if mm-hmm. you're not working with good people, then you're you're not going to get very far. Thank you for for sharing those. One of the things on the risk piece, you know, it was interesting. I had a young lady, I was over visiting a a girlfriend of one of my sons and she was visiting. She was, we were in the dining room and, and uh, we were talking about startups and, and things like that. And in fact, we were at RiderFlex, we were thinking about maybe having her do some work here at RiderFlex. And she said, well, you know, but it's still, you know, it's startup and there's, you know, you guys are just getting started and there's no, there's no, you know, guarantee. And I got this other job offer and it's, and it's a guaranteed permanent job offer and I'll be safe there. (laughs) And I was thinking to myself, there are no guarantees. And so the one thing, the one thing I think people should realize is, you know, when they're, when they're wondering whether or not to leave the cushy W2 job from that big company, I, I do think people sometimes think, oh, I'm safe here, right? Like, oh, this is this is permanent. I'm safe. I'll have this job as long as I want to. That's that's really not the reality. And if you live long enough professionally, you learn that. And so and that's a perfect reason to go ahead and step out and take the risk on a startup because, uh, you know, uh, there's risk everywhere is my point. And so I just wanted to touch on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, last question, uh, real quick. One of my favorite questions. I usually ask everybody this question that comes on in the podcast and trying to keep this one away from family. If you can, I like to push people beyond the, the family answer because that, that is the standard answer and it should be, but professionally, if you're just thinking about it professionally, what is Chris's core purpose in life right now? Right? Like, you know, we've all kind of had those moments where you're, you're laying in bed and you're staring up at the ceiling sometimes and you're like, okay, now what, what, what exactly am I doing here? <laughs> what's, what's Chris's core purpose in life professionally as of today? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and one that I, I still am searching for the, the, you know, the, the true answer to this question myself, just to be transparent. But the things I know 
that are important to me beyond, you know, putting family to one side is, as right. you requested. But I would say um, it's firstly making, I want to make sure the thing I'm doing is having a positive impact on the world. Right. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, in a kind of cliche, like, you know, save the rainforest or whatever it may be, but like, you know, having, having doing something where I feel like this business, this, uh, whatever it may be is having, and having positive impact is, is first. I think, you know, I touched on this already, but, um, working with good people, with smart people and helping them be better, be more successful is also important to me. Um, and then finally, it's just, uh, just a belief, like, I think the world is going to continue to evolve significantly um, with regards to sec- software and technology. Mm. So to me, kind of finding ways to have that impact on the world through the lens of software uh, or through technology is, is, is kind, of an, a, kind of a personal area of interest for me. Mm. So um, I think those three things, it's not necessarily a, a purpose, but it's like things that are meaningful to me. And I you know, Chris, I really appreciate everything you shared today. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I hey, super proud of what you're doing. Really appreciate our relationship. RiderFlex loves servicing your team. Thank you for that opportunity. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck. Just real quick, at sketchdeck.com, right? If somebody, want, if somebody needs that service, it's sketchdeck.com, and they can go on there and, and find everything they need. Exactly. Yeah, everything's there on our homepage. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much for calling in, sir. I really appreciate it. We truly hope you find our material helpful and entertaining. And in the spirit of giving back, RiderFlex donates half of all proceeds gained from this podcast to the Volunteers of America and their efforts to support veterans with employment services. While our podcast can be heard across most platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and SoundCloud, you can become a supporter of this podcast by visiting our show on the platform Anchor FM. That's anchor.fm slash RiderFlex. You can send us your questions or suggested topics for future episodes to the email address podcast at RiderFlex.com or drop us a voicemail at 888-964-5876 extension 710. Visit riderflex.com to learn more about us. Thanks so much for listening, folks, and have a great day.